This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here today, interviewing a special guest out of Champaign, Illinois. Our guest is a real estate broker. He focuses on mobile home parks. He's licensed in the state of Illinois, state of Indiana. I have had the privilege of buying two parks from him and uh, had him engaged to help me on a current park that we're chasing on an acquisition side, but he's been a good guy to work with. Appreciate him coming on today. Uh, with me today is John Fisher, Mr. Landman. Well, thanks for having me, Ferd. Also licensed in South Carolina and Georgia. Holy cow, you've been working hard since I last knew. Uh, undersold, that's good. So John, tell us a little bit about your background and kind of how you got into the mobile home park business and just you know what it's like, and then ultimately I'd like to know, you know what you like about it, what you don't like about it, and then we'll kind of go from there. Well, I honestly just fell into the mobile home aspect side of it. Um, for 22 years, I owned a, I have a rather unconventional uh, pedigree. Um, prior to getting into real estate, uh, just shy of three years ago, I owned an international swine genetic firm. And uh, yeah, something you hear every day. Yeah, that's a unique background. How, how do you go from that to mobile home park business? Well, so not knowing what I was going to do, I, I was terribly burnt out. I was, I was pretty successful in my previous occupation, but I was burnt out and I wasn't happy. I was depressed. And uh, so I, I closed it down on July 1st of 2017, not knowing what I was going to do. And four months later, after uh, not being able to get a job that really, I thought, suited me, um, I just decided I was going to get my real estate license. And uh, at that time, with my agriculture, my farm background, I decided I was going to try to focus on selling farm ground in Illinois and Indiana. And I'm still focusing on that, and I still hope to sell you know, thousands of acres of, of, of farmland over the next couple of years. Uh, but as a young realtor, um, I, I didn't have many listings, and I was six months into my real estate career without a single listing. And uh, my Indiana farm broker called me and said, hey, you know, we were contacted today about a mobile home park in Taylorville, Illinois, which you bought. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and uh, they said, we're not interested. Do you want it? And at that time, I would have taken a, you know, a dump <laughs> anywhere. I would have taken any listing that I could have gotten. I'm like, yeah, I don't know a thing about mobile home parks, but I'll take it. So I had a friend here in Champaign County and I called her up. I'm like, Hey, you know, I don't know. I didn't know that they sold them by the pads. I was so, so green. I had no clue. So she kind of gave me education and she told me about um, mobile home university and, and mobile home park store. And um, so I got the listing and I did my best I could to write up a, uh, a write-up on it and advertise it on Mobile Home Park Store and Crexy and LoopNet. And um, within the first 24, 48 hours, gosh, I had at least 50 phone calls, had three offers, and uh, it just kind of mushroomed from there. And uh, about a month later, I got a call from a guy in Peoria. He said, hey, I saw your listing in uh, Taylorville. I, you know, I've got a little leaven pad over here. Would you help me sell it too? So I'm like, hmm, two parks in a month. There might be some to this. Yeah, so I, I, I just ordered a mailing list. I started writing people. And uh, now just shy of three years later, uh, I'm just about to list my 32nd park this week. Wow, that's great. 
quite to, I'm glad to be part of the first one. That first one was a hairy deal too. It, it's, uh, yeah, it was awful. <laughs> there was a lot of. I definitely cut my teeth on that one and, and learned a lot. You know, you were very uh, difficult to go up against just because you had so much more knowledge of the industry than, than what I did, but uh, you were definitely very educational. So I'm glad you were part of that first deal to help me out. Okay, good. If you say something bad about me, we're never going to air this episode. So uh, <laughs> difficult to go up against, but fair, reasonable, and I closed that. Uh, that deal, I remember the hardest part of that was those gas lines, man. They, for the, everybody else doesn't know the details on this part, the Amber, the utility company, had broken their easements and they put their gas lines in the, basically the most convenient lots for space for them from house to house and they, they violated the location. So it was, it was about $105,000 to relocate the gas line. So it ended up being a, a big fight with the utility company and we actually had that under contract and then and dropped the contract uh, because it was there was uh, a number of issues with it that came out in due diligence. But then, glad we you know this is kind of a lesson learned: keep a good relationship even when you break up on the deal. And we were reasonable, you were reasonable, and we came back later. You came back later, and we got it done, and you know win-win. And we had that park for about two years, and really put a lot of money into it and fixed it up. We actually just sold that park in July, so um, kind of a two-year flip. Put several hundred thousand dollars of capex and mobile homes into it but overall worked out really well for us and um good for the community and everything like that the city appreciates it so it was a good deal and uh, glad we got to work on it and working on another deal you sold us as well uh, obviously you like i know knowing you i know you like dealing with people and you're, you're good i think with especially with older sellers and um and a lot of the, the kind of your farm relationship i think helped with that so i mean is that kind of your niche is, is building relationships with sellers I mean, is that, and I think I'm kind of wondering, like, what, what do you think is the best part of your job and what's the worst part? Some people like the relationship side. Some people hate it and like the transactional side. Well, I mean, 99% of the time, I love the, the people that I work with. Um, you might remember that very first transaction we were just talking about. There were three heirs involved. Two of them were the nicest people on the face of the earth and the third one from California. Um, if you would have told him water was wet, he would have argued and said, no, <laughs> yes. no. And uh, so and then you have clients like that, but sometimes, you know, maybe that's the reason why I'm bald. Yeah. Clients like that make me pull my hair out. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think I'm fairly charismatic. I, I think I'm, you know, I'm fairly positive. And, and uh, you know, I was I was raised where uh, a man's handshake is his word. And, and I think people can kind of sense that, uh, you know, I'm being honest with them and I'm, I'm, I'm shooting them straight. And, um, you know, I had had uh, one guy call me or one time about listing his park and he goes, you know, I, you know what, I probably get five letters a week from people wanting to sell my park. He goes, but I saw your logo and saw you, were, you were a farmer and you can always trust a farmer. So I'm, I'm calling you and I listed his park. So that's awesome. Um, that's awesome. I, my dad, you met my dad, Bird. He, he grew up on a farm and then he had a family grocery business in, in the Midwest in Illinois. And the one thing he always told me was if you can hire a farmer, do it because a lot of his farmers would come in interviews like these kids already got up at four in the morning. They already milked the cows. They have discipline. They learn discipline. They work hard. said, man, you never have problems with that. It's the people that are, you know, coming in off the streets, their first job, just, you know, shirts on top, smoking the cigarettes as they walk in the interview. Like those guys are a problem. It's the farmers and then, you know, military vets that he just like, you're hard, you know, you, you've, you've already, you've already kind of earned it. Um, so that's a, you know, a positive stereotype, I think for sure. Um, but anyway, that's great. You know, John, you've obviously been in business now several years, kind of went from just getting started super green to having quite a few listings and, and sales. 
what advice can you give to other people listening to this podcast and in particular first time first time buyers i get a lot of calls and questions from first time buyers i'm just in my legal practice or just find me on linkedin or facebook or friends and i've had several of them this week and some of them are pretty great i mean just completely fishing in the dark and i don't have time to take every one of them and answer every question and call so if we record this and they can, we can, you know, a hundred people, a thousand people can listen to your answer. So do you have any advice and what you did right? And then also like, you know, the school of hard knocks, what did you, what time, what did, what did you learn that didn't work out so well that you can maybe help others so they don't have to make the same mistake? And if it's not your mistake, maybe a deal you're in, you know, like you mentioned this one difficult seller, maybe something like that. Anything you can share on that would be just great. Well, the, the only thing I can say if you're on the selling side is, is have your numbers ready. Um, you know, uh, dealing with a lot of quote mom and pop operations, you know, a lot of times the record keeping amounts to a shoebox um, back, you know, on the side of the kitchen drawer where they put all the receipts. Yes. Um, and that, that sometimes can, can make it challenging for us. And, and sometimes on the buyer side too, um, you know, all, everyone wants to do their due diligence and, you know, the mobile home university and all these other programs that go through that try to teach these first time buyers, you know, they give you the list of due diligence items you should ask for and, and, uh, you know, I had one park where I specifically put mom and pop operation, very, very limited financials, very limited due diligence and got the deal under contract. And I get the request for due diligence items. And it was eight pages and 126 questions. Wow. And I just, it's overwhelming. Did, I, did I was not, actually talking about the offering memorandum. So, I mean, and, uh, you know, there's, you know, with some of these situations, I understand that there's an element of risk going into parks where you don't have true financials. But uh, a lot of times, you know, also those those mom and pop deals, even though they can't prove the financials, in most cases, they're probably more profitable than what you think because they've been taking cash underneath the table. Right. And that, I've bought several deals like that. I think that deal we bought from you, not the Taylorville deal, but the, the Rantoul deal where that seller had, I think it was three parks and 75 single family houses. And they were all in this personal name, personal checking account. Do you remember when he pulled out his wallet and how thick his oh my gosh, how much had, cash he had in there? He had a, a hundred checks and thousands of dollars in there and in deaf. And oh, he's I was telling somebody yesterday that's the best is the most stubborn old man I've ever met. That guy, he wanted uh, it was like seven, 17, and 54 units. And he's like, 500 like the seven unit part can't be worth as much as empty, you know, 500 each. You know, 500k in my jeans. I remember like that was yesterday. <laughs> and then we had the signed contract and he said, uh, so can I have my money now? I'm like, uh, no, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna like do some due diligence and stuff. Oh, okay. Well, whatever cash check, I don't care. And I legitimately think old, uh, old Jack, he, uh, he thought I was gonna give him a duffel bag full of half a million dollars. And, and he was a little disappointed that he had to go home <laughs> with, with nothing, but we got it done. That was another, that was another fun one, but no, that, that's that's definitely great. Um, Jack Jack called me one time after you were doing your due diligence and had all your inspections going on, and he said he's had so many people out here looking at this park. I think he's had everyone but President Trump. <laughs> it's you know speaking of President Trump, I know your daughter's named Reagan, so we talk about President Reagan. I my favorite quote is uh, for for due diligence is you know, President Reagan always said trust but verify. Yeah. But I, I say, don't trust and verify. And that's what I was doing, Jack. I was not trusting you and I was verifying everything. So no offense, but that's kind of the way to do it. But I was, I was telling, I'm working on a case in uh, Illinois, or not Illinois, Nebraska right now. And my client has the, the big due diligence list like you referenced. And 
similar deal, like an old seller. And I, I kind of told him, Hey, it's kind of a judgment call. I don't know the seller. I haven't talked to him. You do. You may want to put that, all that stuff in the, in the, in the, the Christmas list full of items, put that in your contract, but you may want to wait and just put buyer will ask you some stuff, ask you for some stuff under due diligence. And then you tie it up and don't overwhelm them. And then you, you really evaluate what you need. So like on the deal with Jack, I didn't need his tax returns. I didn't need his P&L because I knew they were garbage. So I had to recreate my own. Now that's harder to do on your first deal. And it's harder to do if you don't good banking relationships. So I had banking relationships where they, I could tell my banker, look, here's my pro forma. I just, you know, I look at the tax bill, the trash bill, the electric bill. Everything else is my opinion based on a site visit and, and kind of just kind of reconstruct the pro forma. And, and I had a, an existing relationship. I probably couldn't have done that in my first deal but I was able to. So yeah, that's definitely good advice is to have as a seller to have your, have your numbers together. Um, so as a buyer, you're saying just really don't overwhelm the seller perhaps, or any other, you know, kind of newbie. Yeah, and, and, and be honest. I mean, you know, that's the other thing we've run into. I had a park listed here. I was about two months ago. I had tremendous response for it. In fact, I had um, 13 offers on it within the first uh, 24 to 48 hours. I can't remember. Wow. First 24 to 48, 13 offers. Um, <clears throat> And this one couple from the West Coast um, texted me, called me, friended me on Facebook, then had the, the other partner contact me. And, you know, me and my phone is just going off the hook. I just sent out this bulk email. My bulk email is now over 5,000 investors. So when I send out a listing for New Park, it's like I'm a country station giving away Garth Brooks tickets. So my phone lights up. And, I, you know, I'm not trying not to screen calls. I'm just, I can only talk to so many people at one time. Right. And so, you know, she's very aggressive, um, which is fine. You know, you have to be aggressive in, in, in this market because there's so many people looking to get into this asset class. But, uh, you know, she's all cash. It's going to be all cash. So we accept her deal verbally. I sent over the contract to her. Hasn't been two hours yet since she said all cash. And then she goes, oh, um, our situation has changed. We need that cash now. It has to be financed. Wow. Two hours. So. Good. There's so that, that just kills little, you, you know, kills yeah. you from a character perspective. So, um, needless to say, she was unfriended from Facebook, blocked on <laughs> Facebook, her numbers were thick, and she was removed from my mailing list because I'm not going to deal with customers like that that are going to try to play games. I want to deal with people who want to, you know, I'll, I'll treat you correctly. I'll be honest with you. You just be honest with me, and it makes everything go so much easier. It's, yeah, it's so that's so frustrating. I had a, I've not dealt with this read. I tried to get him to do actually a joint venture one time, but there's a, one of the, one of the big REITs, um, supposedly one of their, their game plan is they, they tie something up, tie it up for a million dollars, 30 day DD, don't work on it at all. On day 29, due diligence is ready to, ready to die. They'll send a letter or an email. Uh, we need a 25% concession or we're not going to close. Get those all the time. And they didn't do any work. Like versus you saying with me and that guy, example, Jack, I'm on site. It's obvious I'm working the deal. I'm trying to make work. It was just a bluff. And then if the person, the story is, if the person says no, they just move on. If the person says yes, then they say, okay, now we got it priced at a right, at reasonable price. Now we start looking at it. It's like, that's gotta, if I was the seller, it would piss me off so much. And, and they, I don't know how you can become a big player and have that kind of, you know, MO, but apparently that's what it's like. So, um, it, well, it's unfortunately it's more common than you would think. Yeah, you would know. I don't. I don't deal with nearly as many sellers and, as you do. But uh, let me ask you this: I mean, I, I can kind of tell from some of your other comments that you know, I think you're hearing the same thing and seeing the same thing I'm seeing in the current marketplace as we sit here in fall of 2020, just kind of in this COVID world. Are you seeing just crazy level of interest from buyers and, and crazy pricing? 
that, that's what I'm seeing here in Kansas City area and then I'm looking regionally as well but any any tips on the market or any just what's your your general consensus or comments on where you see the market at and where you see it going this is the hottest market probably the mobile home park industry has probably ever seen I brought on six I think this summer and it's either four or five of the six I had under contract within 48 hours and three or four of those were at the list price or above um, wow. so from that aspect it was crazy um, just to give you a little idea of how much or how many more investors are looking into this asset class right now. I think in November, my email mailing list had 1400 members and now I'm at over 5,000. Wow. And you know, those are just people who, you know, have, you know, contact me on mobile home park store, maybe Crexy or LoopNet or, you know, however they found me, but uh, you know, I, I basically harvest those every time someone contacts me, I harvest those email addresses. And sure. um, so I'm to the point now where, um, I really don't need to advertise online. Um, I can pretty much, you know, from a mom and pop deal to, you know, a $10, $15 million park, every one of my mailing lists, I can, I, I, I feel confident I could sell every park I could get just for my mailing list I have right now. That's unbelievable. And what's, what's unbelievable too is one, you haven't been in the business for 25 years. That's, that's, that's all relatively recent, you know, list accumulation, but then also, you're, you're, you're in the Midwest. I know you've got licenses and done some deals outside, but like, I don't think you've done anything on the West Coast or the Northwest, for example. So none of those buyers have seen your listings out there and that are finding you in the Midwest and then get in contact with your Midwest deals. And that's just showing, I think, the, the level of national interest. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing the same thing. And I, that's why I've been looking more lately at joint venture and kind of coming in as a lawyer or a partner on deals because, you know, I'm just doing it by myself or just dad and me. The, the pricing is so crazy. There's deals going for three, four, five cap. I'm just not going to pay a four cap on a deal. It doesn't make sense. Now, if I've got investor pool that has a different uh, fact pattern or different yield requirement, then maybe I can take you know 30% of the deal and then give them 70% with a prep return and some sort of with a, a cash on cash return that, that fits their profile. But I just, it's unbelievable. I don't think it's a bubble personally. I think it's just the the secrets out. You know, the, the, we're going to be the darling of COVID is what I've been saying because our, you know, collections are so good. Our the fundamentals of our business are so good compared to some of the other asset classes. And I've done a lot of retail as well and other single family and some multifamily as well. And I just have almost no interest in those right now. It's just MHP is the way to go. And I think people that are burned as their asset classes agree and they're, they're proving it, you know, they're voting with their feet or they're voting with their wallets. And I think it's great for, you know, guys like me, guys like you that are already in the industry, already have, you know, skills, experiences, knowledge base. Um, it's exciting. I mean, I'm looking forward to uh, the next six months, the next six years of what this all looks like. But. Well, something we didn't talk about. Um, right now, we're kind of running into some funding issues. Um, some of the banks and some of the investors out there are kind of pumping the brakes a little bit until, until the election. So um, I've got two or three deals right now that are kind of... Mm, you know, you know, are, are they going to go? I don't know. Hopefully, you know, I'm doing everything I can. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I did have one deal today that fell apart and the investor just simply said, I don't feel comfortable buying this park right now until after the election. So that's something else that, uh, you know, for the next couple of months, we're going to have to deal with. Is that, is that, is the election, I know there's always some kind of uneasiness for people in an election year. You think, are they waiting? Like if president Trump wins, they're going to do it. If, if Biden wins, they're not or vice versa, or is it just, we don't know because of the whole eviction moratorium or have they given you any more color as to why election specific? Um, I think, I think if Trump wins, it'll be 
full steam ahead. You know, it'll be an 18-wheeler going downhill, honking the horn, saying, get out of the way. And I think everything's going to be uh, really good again. Um, and if Biden wins, um, I don't think it's necessarily going to stop it. Um, I think it's just people are going to, you know, pump the brakes a couple times, just, you know, kind of check, look over in the left lane, look over in the right lane, you know, make sure everything's safe. Um, and then, you know, hopefully things will continue as long as, you know, interest rates stay low. And, um, yeah, you know, I don't know. It's, uh, I don't want to get political here, but uh, um, I, I do think that uh, if, if Trump wins, that uh, this market's going to explode here at the, the, the latter part of the year. I got to show you this hat. I agree with you. I agree with everything you said, but I wish Trump would wear this on election day. <laughs> Make trailer parks great again. Make trailer parks great again. That's a, that should be a trademark for our for our podcast for your job. It should be. <laughs> I probably probably get in trouble if I start doing. I don't. That's not MAGA. I don't have what's that acronym? TPGA it doesn't really have the same ring as a MAGA twenty twenty. But um, anyway, we're doing our part. Make trailer parks great again. Uh, John, appreciate you coming on today. Appreciate your help. Look forward to working with you again in the future, and wish you the best. And if anyone wants to contact me, feel yes. free to reach out. Yes, please tell them, tell them that I'm, I'm still a rookie at this podcast stuff. Where can they find Mr. Landman? MrLandman.com. That's M-R-Land, L-A-N-D-M-A-N, MrLandman.com or John Fisher, John without an H, J-O-N, F-I-S-H-E-R, 1991 at Gmail. All right. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Thanks, Bird. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.